Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 10 of Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. again episode 10 we made it 10 episodes what do you what do you think about that double digits uh happy to be there uh, i feel like this is really just tip of the iceberg still uh many many episodes of content to come especially hopefully when we get baseball back and we're in season but happy to make it this far max and uh let's just keep it going keep the conversation on baseball alive yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> this podcast is going to be so much better for us when we can actually talk about baseball and not just the lockout and stuff like this. But I guess on that note, we need to talk about the lockout again today. There actually has been some news. You know, maybe you could be optimistic about this. So since we last talked, we discussed how uh, the MB- the MLB is re- uh, requesting mediation for the lockout discussions for the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. After this, the MLB Players Association actually rejected this request entirely. So they said they will not be under the influence of some federal mediator who's coming in to try to, you know, speed up speed up the process. In a statement from the MLB Players Association, they said. Uh, two months after Im- implementing their lockout and just two days after committing to a p- to the players that a counter proposal would be made, the owners refused to make a counter and instead requested mediation. After consultation with our executive board and taking into account a variety of factors, we have declined this request. The clearest path to a fair and timely agreement is to get back to the table. Players stand ready to negotiate. And so, that's kind of where we stood in um, up until this week. Um, and actually this week, the MLB owners are meeting for their annual meeting in Orlando, Florida from Tuesday to Thursday. This is being recorded on Thursday. And Rob Manfred came out of those meetings and had a lot to say. James, what do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? What, what, what did Rob Manfred have to say? You know, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, first, I just want to say part of the reason of the rejecting of the mediators back in the 94 season, um, which we've talked about in past episodes, completely was scrapped. No World Series, no no baseball season. A mediator was brought into that. So there definitely is some legs to stand on for the MLB Players Association saying, look, this does not produce a faster agreement. Um, I also like kind of some hashtags going around the players. That's been hashtag at the table, kind of a snarky little like, hey, we're here. Where are you at to do this then? Um, With that being said, of course, the mouthpiece of baseball, uh, the most overpaid man in any profession in the world, Rob Manfred, did give a public address uh, kind of explaining what's been going on. So some good things did come out of this. Um, He said that there is no status change to spring training. Uh, Before I even go on, i got to call absolute bullshit on that. Uh, Pitchers and catchers should have reported February 15th, which is five days from now. So unless they reach an agreement in five days, I don't think that's true. Manfred also then said he's optimistic that the March 31st opening day is still on the table and can still be hit. 
Um, you know, and on Netflix that real quick, lot. yeah, yeah. So he's optimistic that you know opening day will start on time, which is good. He also said it, it would be a, it would be devastating for baseball if they didn't reach opening day, um, which previously we've heard and you know. These are just sound bites thrown around. Who knows what's true? But we, I believe last week we talked about how uh, some executive in the MLB, I forget his name, said that they would be willing to miss games if it meant coming to a better agreement. So maybe this is in the right direction that he's optimistic that opening day will still happen on March 31st. But I guess we'll see. Go ahead. Let me, let me just remind you that this is the same Rob Manfred who, in the middle of negotiations for the COVID season, says – Oh, no, we'll, we're definitely going to start on time, play a whole season. And a week later said, I'm not sure we play baseball this year. So Rob Manfred telling me he's optimistic about opening day means nothing to me, absolutely nothing. Uh, I hope I'm wrong on that, but he's shown a propensity to lie to the fans, lie to the media, and just lie in general. Um, so unless he became a very truthful person during this offseason, I don't put much uh, stock into that. But let's talk about some of the positives that come out of uh Robbie Robb's big speech. And one is something <laughs> we have both been vying for, and I know this. Both sides, players and owners, have agreed to the universal DH. So, pending a colossal restructuring, that will be coming. How do you feel about that, Max, as an NL guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I like you said, an NL guy, but I'm totally in favor of this. I mean, just in light of last season, the Cardinals lost Flaherty, they lost KK, they lost a bunch of players to injuries from batting, and it, it just felt pretty pointless. I mean, these guys aren't hitters. They're coming up, going to swing the bat a few times, strike out, and then they end up getting hurt um, just swinging the bat. It, it, it was tough to see, um, and Flaherty ended up missing months on end. So I'm happy to see this. There might be some, you know, classic NL people who want to see the pitchers bad because maybe it brings in some strategy of to playing around pinch hitting and all that, which I agree. But I just think from a player standpoint and an entertainment standpoint, let's get better batters in there. Pitchers aren't supposed to bat. That's not what they do. They barely practice batting, if at all. Um, I, I'm totally in favor of this. Yeah, I mean, I think, what, best-case scenario, you get that, you know, your pitcher hits his one home run of the year, everyone gets happy, the next best is he nails a nice sack bunt, and, you know, maybe right. it's a squeeze play and you score a run. And, you know, the entertainment value, like, look, you get, they're just not – you give me the best-hitting pitcher in baseball, but was it Max Fried this last year? He, he hits as well as a bottom-tier batter in the eight-hole. You know, so it's just like what – what are we doing? And of course you talk about injuries. If one singular pitcher in baseball gets hurt batting, that is one too many. You don't want to see the best arms in baseball not pitching because they tore an ACL sliding into second or they got right. just get rid of the injury factor. Yes. You lose some strategy. Yes. The old guys are making the fist at the cloud and all worked up there, but come on, it's fun. I'm excited. I personally think, uh, and this is just me being hopeful. This may swing the pendulum on uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers Freddie Freeman sweepstakes because if they can pinch hit Max Muncie or designated hit Max Muncie, big void at first there. Uh, but just in general, I'm excited for baseball and excited that both leagues are on a playing field, even playing field there. Because this was any sport I can remember, this is the biggest difference of a competitive rule that changes fundamentally the game from one league to the other. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it also opens the door 
the Cardinals need a DH. Let's re-sign Albert and let him hit 700 in Cardinal uniform. That's what I'm rooting for. Uncle Dio. <laughs> Albert Google <laughs> is obviously an incredible player um, and would be great for that DH spot still. He proved in LA, both LAs, uh, this year that he can still swing the bat. Um, another thing coming out, just bringing back to Rob Manfred's uh, little speech, that really hasn't gotten the coverage as the DH is that the draft pick compensation has been eliminated. I think that's a huge improvement. Uh, I think the last time the draft pick compensation was a deal was last year when the Mets uh, selected, um, oh gosh, right, Rocker from Vanderbilt, just great pitcher. And then they didn't sign him and instead got the draft pick compensation. And now he couldn't play a year in MLB. And it's just a mess. Um, so happy to get that out of there. Um, and again, I think from the player's perspective, this was a step towards a more competitive MLB landscape for all teams. Totally. Yeah, I, I think both the universal DH and the elimination of the draft pick compensation are big wins and big, um, you know, signs of agreement for both sides that have so far shown a lot of animosity towards one another. And, you know, they're expected to meet again just on Saturday. And the MLB is, is expected to actually bring a new proposal after saying that they would not counter. Um, it just seems like they're flipping back and forth constantly. But glad to see they're they're going to bring a new proposal to the table on Saturday. You know, you can't expect a deal to be signed on Saturday, but each meeting is a step in the right direction, hopefully. And each little term, you know, why these seem, you know, fairly trivial and they will impact the game in a big way. But every time you can find a point of agreement, that helps. It's one less thing to talk about, and it's, it builds that camaraderie. Um, so I think it, I think it's great. You know, you got to start somewhere. Let's agree on the things we can agree on, and start to hash out some of the other things. You know, I'm really hopeful that this proposal, that hopefully the MLB takes it a little more serious um, in terms of maybe trying to find a middle ground with the players instead of, you know, I, I think particularly the pre-arbitration pool where you're talking off by a magnitude of 10x, you know, let's hopefully <laughs> find some middle ground, get some proper negotiating, which is really what the players want. I think they've felt disrespected and the fact of like, we keep telling you these things and then you just don't acknowledge it and offer what you want, which is not negotiating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Hard to know where we're at, really, but at least we have gotten through the we're not having mediation side of it. And at least we have both sides back at the table, hopefully proposals flowing. Um, and we can only hope that we sign some things and, and get baseball started because I don't know. I, I don't want to wait at all. I'm itching for baseball. I wish we could start the season tomorrow. Uh, you know, let's yeah. get this thing going. And with the, you know, with them meeting again, I know the MLB is expected to arrive with you know, some resolutions um, in their new proposal regarding the core economic issues, which, which we've touched on over and over again. Um, but once those some of those things are resolved, there are actually some fun things within the CBA that will be pretty fun to talk about. Like we already talked about the universal TH. That'll be big. Expanded playoffs. What comes with that? All types of stuff that's actually, you know, will be somewhat entertaining to talk about. And I also think our areas where the MLB and um, the Players Association it will be much easier for them to come to an agreement on these things because they're not as pressing as some of the economic issues. So that'll be kind of fun. You know, it'll be fun to see what they do with the playoffs. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. Um, and, you know, covering the economics is just hard. And that's where they're the biggest gap, right? The owners want to retain as much money as they can. They're in it for business. The players are like, yeah, well, we'd want to be paid. We're the product. And that's the thing. That's where your biggest divide is going to come in. 
So hopefully we can start to get that in the rear view mirror. Totally. Well, let's move on. There's, there's actually some other um, interesting news uh, in the baseball world. We've got four topics we want to talk about. First is, is, I guess, not your guy anymore. Well, he is on the Dodgers, but Trevor Bauer. Not my guy. <laughs> Obviously, he missed half of the season this year after he faced criminal charges. Um, but on Tuesday, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office said that Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer will not be criminally charged by the Los Angeles prosecutors. This concludes a five-month review of the case which stems in what he was charged for with sexual assault allegations made against Trevor Bauer by a San Diego woman who sought a restraining order against him in June. Uh, Real quick, Max, LA, if, I can just, if I can just hop in there, I'd just like to bring this to the story. The same woman uh, had a little hookup spree with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, not that that really matters anything, but you know she's really checking off some of the elites of the elite in the MLB. Yes, and um, a lot of these allegations came out just, or the the charges that she made came out just a day after he signed a two-year, $85 million deal with the Dodgers. So, you know, take that for what you want. But the L.A. County District Attorney's Office said, quote, after a thorough review of all the available evidence, including the civil restraining order proceedings, witness statements, and the physical evidence, the people are unable to prove the relevant charges beyond a reasonable doubt. And so shortly after this, Bauer himself finally came out and started discussing some of these charges. Um, he's been pretty quiet throughout the season um, once he was put on administrative leave, which I think was the right approach. He tried to just, you know, let the legal process do its thing. But after he was not criminally convicted, he came out and posted a YouTube video titled The Truth during which he firmly denies all allegations made by the woman and talked about how difficult the past few months have been on him and blamed certain segments of the media for, for not painting him in the right light, and he considered it unfair. And I think, you know, one of the biggest quotes he had, he said, she chose to stay the night both times and left the following day without any incident or concern. And when she left, she certainly did not look anything like the photos that were later attached to her family court declaration and circulated by her lawyers to the media. While this is not the time nor the place to address every single lie or falsehood about this woman or her lawyers made to the court, I do want to be crystal clear about a few things. I never punched this woman in the face. I never punched her in the vagina. I never scratched her face. I never had anal sex with her or sodomized her in any way. I never assaulted her in any way at any time. And while we do have, we did have consensual rough sex, the disturbing acts and conduct that she described simply did not occur. And so, I mean, these are pretty strong words and, you know, he's not criminally charged. The MLB can still suspend him and still, uh, you know, punish him against their own domestic abuse uh, clause or whatever it is. So we're, un we're unsure if he'll be back next year. He likely won't be back or he for sure won't be back for the start of the season. We'll see what happens with his position on the Dodgers. You know, there's still a lot to be unwound here, but. Based on the L.A. County District Attorney statement and his own statement, it, it seems like these charges were not real. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think there's a couple things to note. Is one, he's still on the MLB administrative leave, and their investigation has not concluded. So right. as far as legally, Trevor Bauer is good. Trevor Bauer, the baseball player, 
is still under his consideration with the league. Now, I'm sure for his team, this was a big win. Um, one, to not have the Chargers, but maybe gives him some shred of validity. I, I still think on the Chargers, it's a very complex issue because it's a matter of he said, she said, of a private one-on-one encounter, right? Um, and I think so the, the facts, she says it happens, he says it didn't, you know, who's telling the truth? How do you know what to believe? It's very tough. Um, I'm not really sure I have a position on, on either. Uh, from the start when the allegations first came out, I was happy that uh, baseball suspended him, that the Dodgers, uh, actually before the MLB put him on leave, the Dodgers uh, were like, no, you're, you're not pitching until uh, we, we figure out kind of what's going on here. As for his future with the Dodgers, I think that there's almost no doubt in my mind that he will not pitch in an LA uniform again. Um, Last season, when all these allegations came out, before it was really clear that he was going on administrative leave, he would be gone the whole year. There was um, some petitions, some remarks, some unity in the Dodger clubhouse that they did not want him playing for their team. Notably, Mookie Betts and Justin Turner were at the forefront of this movement. And if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, yes, Trevor Bowers, a very good arm, would really help their starting rotation. But if Mookie Betts says he's not playing, if that guy plays – then you cut your ties and go find another pitcher. Um, this team. So what do you think about if he's not to play? If he's cleared, though, I mean, if, if if he's making these statements and firmly denying it, I don't know how much sense does it make for Mookie Betts to still have this stern stance against domestic violence, which of course is appropriate and everybody should have. But if he didn't actually commit them, do you think Mookie would ever, you know, give Bauer another chance? To, to play well, on the Dodgers? Well, and I think that that's a big what if, right? As a little more facts and clarity are brought to the situation, maybe there's some reevaluation um, of kind of his stance. You know, he wasn't really connected to the team. I will give Trevor Bauer his kudos here and that he said from the start, I'm not protesting. I'm not doing anything. I'm going to slip into the shadows because I don't want this to impact the success of the team. So at least that was really nice that he's like, I'm not going to make this giant scene. Like, go try and win a World Series. Um, I mean, obviously, look, it's an arm that L.A.'s starting rotation is dwindling down. Um, and if you can get a Cy Young winning an arm of that caliber going, huge for baseball. I, and I don't know. I mean, I think maybe maybe this leads to Mookie Betts and some of the teammates at least hearing out Bauer, right? Because that, that never happened from the start. It was like, okay, this is the report we had. You know, we're all in unity. Believe her. You're done. You got to go. Maybe there's more of a dialogue there. Um, it will be, <clears throat> excuse me. It will be interesting to see what Andrew Friedman and the executives say because, well, he's on their payroll, he's on their team. They're a much better baseball team if he plays. So, how they address it, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, those questions definitely are going around. Um, I, I don't know how I feel as an LA fan. I mean, you, I hate to have a guy that's even in these rumblings representing the organization. But then if you do go by his word and he's like, look, uh, this woman and I, you know, had consensual rough sex, thought everything was cool. Then out of left field, this comes and now he's done. Right. So it's like pending if he what he says is 110 percent the truth, then it's a terrible situation. And what the law says, too, or and what, you know, the the L.A. District Attorney's Office says, too. Yeah. And, that, you know, the, the legal thing is interesting because they do have to prove everything beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, being able to prove something just based on like the hearsay here, or there, what she said, he said, that can be tough. Um, 
I, I mean, I'm not, I'm really not sure what, but this is certainly a step back for Bauer into the league and maybe for pitching for LA. Um, but still a lot more to come out of this situation, I would say. Yeah, and like you said, the Dodgers, they, they kept paying him throughout this last season, but they're set to owe him $47 million in 2022. Um, and the Dodgers, of course, declined to comment and stated that they would not do so until the MLB concludes their own investigation. But $47 million to pay this guy that's never going to see the field is and, you know, he if he's suspended, I don't know how that would affect the money they owe him. But that's a lot of money. And so I don't know if the Dodgers can really eat that. And they, they might not have to, but that's a lot of money to owe one player who may or may not play. You know, I, I would think that they have to. So pending, let's just say the players keep their firm stance. Because the way I see this, as long as Mookie Betts has this ultimatum, you go with Mookie Betts. He's going to play 150 out of 162 games. I mean, he is your best player in the field. You go with that guy. Um, if not, you know, if they don't change that statement, then I think LA has to move the contract. The question is, what franchise can pay one dude 47 million? And really, it's the Yankees. They do need pitching, but with Garrett Cole's massive contract, some of their other massive contracts, are they going to make the move? What do you get in return since you don't have leverage on it? A lot of question marks for uh, the Dodgers, but for some reason I have a gut feeling that Trevor Bauer doesn't pitch in an L.A. jersey again, um, which, which is, if everything's true, I'm happy about. The only thing I'm sad about is how excited I was when Trevor Bauer signed with L.A. for him only to play in 16 games. You know, that that not so fun. Yeah, I mean, that must be devastating. I mean, and so plus it, it, having him back... You get Bauer, Bueller, Dustin May, Kershaw. You're I mean, the highest. You, I mean, yeah. You, you've really if got he's back, they have the best rotation in baseball. If he's back, they have the best five-man rotation in baseball. Um, although what I'll say, if, if he's not back, maybe that is even more impetus for the organization to sign Clayton Kershaw. But I'm pretty sure they're sliding him a blank check anyways, and it's really up to if Kershaw wants to go to Texas with his family or not. I think that's his decision. Um We'll see. Right. I think we'll keep everyone up to date as some more things happen um, as the MLB investigation. Once that concludes, I think that will also have a big bearing on, you know, what the Dodgers will do with him, what his teammates will think. Um, but that is that is the situation as of now. It's at least nice to hear some progress on it because it kind of has been, you know, since the allegations came out, just a weird like holding pattern, if you will. Yeah, and I guess last thing I'll say on it is, you know, the MLB's investigation, since they kind of created this domestic violence cause, I think they've had, I think it's either 12 or 16 or something like that, players who have gone into this and, and been suspended or, or been put into this domestic violence protocol, most recently being Marcelo Zuna. Um, and no, not one of the players has appealed it. And so this might likely be the first time where we see somebody appeal it if he is actually um, put into this protocol. But I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think with that, that really wraps us up um, as far as this leg of the Trevor Bauer story is concerned. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it adds to his story of being one of the more interesting players. I mean, he's always been fiery. He's never been shy of controversy in his career. Definitely. I mean, he, he is an interesting guy. I mean, just his demeanor. And I, I've heard stories from him in college. I think him and Garrett Cole played together in college. 
is that right? I might be wrong. Uh, I think they both went to UCLA and played together, at least for a year. He did go to UCLA. I can confirm that fact. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And, and Garrett Cole, apparently they hated each other. But that's a story for another time. Um, turning to some Sp- more legal- Spider tech boy. <laughs> turning to some more legal news uh, in the MLB world. As some of you may or may not be aware, uh, a- former Los Angeles Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs passed away in 2019 due to basically suffocating on his own vomit after taking various drugs and the trial for his death against former communications director, Eric K set was set to begin on Tuesday. And so Eric K faces felony charges of distributing opioids and causing the opioid related death of angels pitcher, Tyler Skaggs in 2019 while on a road trip in Texas. The autopsy of Skaggs had oxycodone, fentanyl, and grain alcohol in his system um, when he asphyxiated on his vomit. And so the trial is against this Eric K. figure, who is the Angels' former communications director, who was accused of providing him these opioids um, throughout you know, his time at the Angels, but specifically the ones that caused him to pass. During the defense team's opening statement, Attorney Reagan Wynn indicated that the defense will name former all-star pitcher Matt Harvey as a potential drug source for Skaggs to place the blame on him instead of Eric Kay. So this is already getting pretty interesting story. While laying out the defense's version of events, Wynn, who's the defense attorney, told the jury that Kay saw Skaggs snort lines of crushed pills the night he died, two blue and one pink, and asked Skaggs where the pink pill had come from. Tyler Skaggs told him, those are Percocets I got from Harvey, Wynn said, indicating that this Percocet came from Harvey, and it's in, it came from the MOB all-star pitcher, Matt Harvey. It's important to note that he didn't, he wasn't found with Percocets in his body when he passed, but that's kind of another layer to this that we'll get to. Um, so defense attorney Wynn also said that Kay, um, who was an admitted opioid addict, ob- obtained these pills on occasion and then distributed them from an attendant at the umpire's clubhouse in Angel Stadium, Hector Vasquez. And Vasquez apparently could not be reached for a comment. So now there's this kind of inside guy at the Angel Stadium who's an attendant for the umpire's clubhouse that is distributing these drugs to Kay and various players. And so the defense case uh, boils down to three key arguments for why Eric Kay is not responsible for the death of Tyler Skaggs. One being that there's no way to prove that the oxycodone or fentanyl in Skaggs' system killed him. He did not die of an overdose. He suffocated, asphyxiated on his vomit. He also had ingested grain alcohol that night. Second, that even if the pills actually did cause Skaggs' death, there's no way to prove that Kay gave them to him. And finally... K, even if K did provide Skaggs the pills he took, there's no way that they could prove it took place in Texas where the trial is happening. So there's a lot to unpack here. And the prosecution also expects the defense to come at um, the person who did the autopsy, who was fired, um, who, who was fired by the Tarrant County Medical Examiner Examination House 
uh, was fired last year after an investigation found that he made significant errors on other autopsies. There's been no accusation that he made any mistakes while examining Skaggs, but that is expected to be a part of the trial. Skaggs' mother spoke today, and it was a very emotional plea saying, you know, that Eric K caused him to die, all these types of stuff. It was very emotional and very sad. But there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't think it's very clear cut. A lot of players are getting involved. A lot of parties are getting involved. Um, this is a very sad situation, but this is probably going to drag out for several weeks. Um, I mean, James, do you, what, what, do you have anything to comment on this? What do you think about this whole situation? Yeah, I mean, first of all, before I really dig into some commenting, um, obviously it's just a terrible tragedy. Um, you don't want to lose anyone, uh, especially in a senseless manner. Um, kid had a whole world in front of him as an MLB pitcher. Um, so you hate that. I mean, just in general, for any kids listening in the audience, avoid drugs. Uh, I mean, it should go without saying, but even if you're living the life, no one is invincible. Uh, then you get outside of that and it's just, the thing that this screws me is dysfunction in the Angels, uh, you know, because any way that this came in, it's either Angels pitchers distributing drugs, the um, the attendants in the umpires clubhouse distributing drugs, your director, you know, a director and executive in the club distributing drugs. Either way, there should be no drug trafficking trains in a professional baseball organization. There just shouldn't be. Not that that really changes anything, but the fact that the source is almost undoubtedly coming from within the Angels operations or clubhouse somewhere is a huge red flag to me. I mean, and if you're the Angels owner, like that's got to say you can't have employees of any kind distributing drugs to players. That like it's a terrible idea for business, um, let alone something like this happens. But just again, focus on the baseball fellas. I mean, come on. It's going to be interesting to see where we go here um, and how this is implicated. Of course, given the defense's case, it seems that it's probably more likely than not that there aren't charges necessarily brought. Um, and we'll see how the court of law determines. But it is just so hard to formally charge someone and get that proof um, of those question marks. But, I mean, it's a, it's a brutal situation, to say the least. And during one of the days of the trials, it might have been yesterday, current Dodgers pitcher Andrew Heaney um, was placed on the stand as a witness who laid out the typical procedures of a road trip, who had access to what players. Um, he also recounted some pretty brutal messages from Skaggs' wife talking about how she couldn't reach him. He had no she had no idea where he was, and this was right before his body was discovered. You there's a, a Apparently a picture of his body, which is pretty brutal to see. I mean, you can imagine when you suffocate on your own vomit, his face is purple. He's in a pile, in a puddle of blood. And so, you know, this, this is pretty similar to, um, well, I wouldn't say pretty similar, but there was another dark episode of the MLB in 1985 when there was a drug scandal that kind of roped in a lot of MLB players, 11 specifically. I mean, this is, this could come similar to this. You know, they're talking about how Eric K distributed drugs to all different types of players. Um, you know, there's there's not much to say about this. I hope that they get the truth right, whether it was Eric K or whether it was Matt Harvey or, or, or whatever happens. You know, it's it's a pretty it's it's a depressing story and it's something that we'll have to keep our eye on. 
Yeah, certainly. And just kind of as a side note happening with everything going on in baseball and the negotiations, it's, it's very big MLB news. This is true. I mean, you have an entire organization and, and all-star pitchers and staff members all on the stands talking about a player death. You know, it's very notable. And just like what you said, I think if anything, the best outcome is like just give Tyler Skaggs, you know, his justice in court if it can be found and at least get the uh, family the truth that they, they definitely deserve. Yeah, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna 100% with you. Um, I don't really have too much else to say about this. This is a topic that will, you know, follow while it's happening. I don't think we will, you know, provide constant updates on it unless there's major news or more players get involved. But I think it's something everyone should keep on their radar, and we'll definitely keep our eye on it um, as the weeks go by. You know, James, why don't you kick off these next two topics? Um, maybe on a lighter note. This is something that yeah. we've seen over and over in our episodes. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it would be great. Um, we're through the sexual assault. We're through the um, the death, the drug organization. So hopefully reining into a little bit more positive news. Um, you know, here on Rounding Third, the baseball podcast, there's nothing we love more than a retirement. Um, so we're back. We got two pieces of retirement news. One I think is very notable, and that's got to be what we're going to get into right now, which is the great Joe West has retired. Um, for those of you who don't know Joe West, I would say arguably the most famous umpire um, in baseball. Pretty much no doubt there, outside of maybe Angel Hernandez, who's famous for all the wrong reasons, for being terrible at his job. Joe West may be famous for the right reasons. Very good at his job. Very notable personality. Uh, you know, 45 years career umpiring. That's huge. That's crazy. Um uh, Max, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on Joe West? Yeah, I mean, like you said, one of the most famous umpires. Um, his last game was actually the, the wild card game where the Dodgers, you know, we remember it. Chris, talk, Chris Taylor hit the walk-off against the Cardinals. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. 45 years umpiring is kind of insane. Um, record number of games umpired, 5,460. He worked six World Series. He was the president of the MLB's Umpire Association for nine years from 09-18. He's worked several no-hitters. He worked Felix Hernandez's 2012 perfect game. Um, you know, I mean, he was a great umpire. Uh, a lot of players, you know, have their quarrels or managers do that. He was, you know, arrogant, thought he ran the house, thought all eyes should be on him. You know, whatever. He's done a lot to give back to widows of other umpires, um, just to the community in general. He was actually ranked as one of the most consistent umpires in the majors, which <laughs> I, I guess it, it's probably pretty easy to be consistent when you've umpired 5,460 games like you'd expect you're making the right calls um but great career I mean if 45 years umpiring that's hard to even like comprehend that's twice our lifetime and then doing all do spending all that time behind the plate or or umpiring in some way it's pretty remarkable I mean I'll say in some ways what a life I mean you're right. the front row seat to 5,400 pro games I mean, I'm just just attending 5,000 games as a fan would be a crazy accomplishment, yet alone working them. Um, I will say that the big knocks on Joe West, which I think he approved on later in his career, but especially if you're looking around the 90s, he loved to kind of take the show. Like you said, like, oh, this is Joe West game. Everyone's here to watch it. You know, the big emphatic, mm -hmm. the punch call, tossing managers early. Uh, 
he, he there was a while there where I think there was some power trip to, to cement his importance. Um, but I think towards the end of his career, you know, maybe in his older age, he uh, settled down a little bit. Um, of course, you know, you, you hate to bring up his last game of the Dodgers 3-1 walk-off against the Cardinals. Um, but, you know, all the way till the end, he was just keeping it real. Um, so it's going to be sad not seeing him. I know Marcus Stroman uh, tweeted out some just a fun, fun story about him. So all players, have, pretty much most players, most managers have had a nice dust up with uh, Joe West at one point in their career. Or not so it will be sad. Kind of a nice. I do enjoy when you have a recognizable umpire. Uh, if anything, then you know who to go to Twitter and bitch about. Yeah, you know, I, I great way to say it. I mean, he's been in the game for forty five years. He's always recognizable when he's there. He seems to be umpiring every game, and it's it's awesome that he got to do King Felix's uh, twenty twelve perfect game. You know, there's only been twenty uh, something perfect games, something like that, and to be to be able to umpire one of those is pretty awesome. Um, and I think you know it's just a testament to him that an umpire retired, and it's newsworthy enough for for the podcast. That in itself is is kind of a feat because generally you wouldn't care. I think you just really want it. But Joe West uh, somehow built a legacy in baseball without playing, coaching, or managing. Right. Yeah. And this was expected. I mean, I, I we knew it was his last game prior to the wild card game. He said he told ESPN in October he was going to be retiring. Um, and this was just making it official. But it's still a great topic to touch on. Great career. What a way to end it. Seeing Chris Taylor moon bombs. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, salt in your wound all day, Max. Uh, but I think with that, we'll move on off of uh, Joe West and we'll keep it. In the retirement family, as we uh, said, of all the players we've covered recently, which I'm not sure, did we cover a retirement last? Is the streak still active? Um, this may be sick. Let I, me do a I, quick I look we, back. I got to know if the streak's still active. This is yeah. huge. Uh, let, me, let me check real quick. I don't think it was. I don't think – no, we didn't talk about anybody last week. All right. The streak has been reset. Um Quite a player we have with the player retirement um, to continue, at least for me. Uh, that's going to be the great Adrian Gonzalez, 15-year uh, MLB career. He played 1,929 games, five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove, two-time Silver Slugger, five years with the Padres, six years with the Dodgers, uh, and sprinkled around there with a couple years in Boston, uh, started his career in Texas. Um, you know, just a, a guy I think most baseball fans knew. Um uh, Kind of had the nickname Adrian Gonzalez just because home run power. Um, so one of my favorite Dodgers, just truthfully, I always enjoyed him at first base. Uh, I do, in fact, have a Gonzalez jersey that Dodgers 23. So sad to see him gone, but he hasn't played in the MLB since 2018. So this was kind of just cleaning things up, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's, make it official. Yeah, he was one of those players that – you know, he was always a major figure in the MLB um, for his slugging ability. I, I, you know, I remember him from those Dodgers teams um, from, you know, 2013 time. It was him, Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier, those guys and him at first. And he was always one of those players that when he came up to bat, you know, you had to pay attention. He was always hitting home runs. He was always able to put the ball in play. Um 
And so I, I mainly remember him from his Dodgers days. He had a great career in the, with the Padres, too. I mean, he even finished fourth in the MVP race in, in uh, 2010. So a really great career. Definitely not – he's not going to be a Hall of Famer or anything like that. But really good 15-year uh, career with a bunch of all-star appearances. Might be one of the better players' retirements that we've talked about. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, to add, he's really known for his, his ability at the plate. But four, four gold gloves in a career is not shabby. I mean, that that's a nice little thing. I think it's a proud resume to hang your hat on. You know, he's hit 2,000 hits, 43.5 uh, war, 317 home runs, 1,200 ribbies. The guy could hit the baseball. Um, you know, I still think back to the play that's burned into my head. It's 2016 um, in the NLCS versus the Cubs. He most certainly was safe at the plate. I'll go to my grave. You can pull that video up. Look it up. He was safe at the plate. The Dodgers tied that game. 2016 could have looked a whole lot different, um, in my opinion, based on that play. He definitely was safe. He was not tagged out at the plate, and I just want that as part of his legacy, that that was a fraudulent call. But, yeah, just, just like you said, you had to watch when he batted, and I felt comfortable. Okay, it, we got Adrian Gonzalez in the lineup. We're sitting pretty. So, you know, great career for him. Anytime you play 15 years, just shy of 2,000 games, that's something. And then I think you look at that and you look in the light of Joe West, and, of course, he's only umpiring, but doubled Adrian Gonzalez games and then some change. Uh, really something. But, yeah, Adrian Gonzalez probably one of the better players, if not the best player retirement we've covered thus far. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking back. Our last one that we talked about was the guy you, whose name you pronounced wrong, Gordon Beckham. <laughs> Go, yeah, Adrian Gonzalez, a little bit uh, elevated stature compared to Gordon Beckham. <laughs> but great career. You know, you, you can't deny that. Great career, great player. Yeah, it's, you know, career kind of speaks for itself. I think I think he's... He's in a nice – maybe not a nice position from his perspective, but he's nestled in a way where there's no Hall of Fame controversy to be navigated. You can kind of just celebrate the career for what it was, being a, a top-tier first baseman pretty much his whole time in the league. And, you know, if you're top three in your position group for a sustained period, you're doing something special. For sure. Well, I, I don't have anything else to add. Uh, James, you, you have anything else to add before we go ahead and wrap this pot up? Yeah, I think really it's just, you know, keying in and uh, tweet us what you think, you know, on any of this. Trevor Bauer, do you think he pitches again? Should he be allowed to pitch again, given what you've heard? You know, do you like the you Universal DH? Shags? Yeah, Universal DH. All kinds of great things that you can tweet us. Uh, Twitter is rounding third now, rounding three RD now. Um, you know, and hopefully we get some great lockout news to share with you soon, and that will kind of segue us into getting some better news, some more pressing actual baseball to talk about. That's the Damn, end goal. Give me we your, want to talk about baseball. Give me your Super Bowl pick. Oh, Super Bowl pick I'm, I'm torn on here, right? I'm a huge Matthew Stafford guy. Uh, he's carried my fantasy football teams to the, the playoffs and Super Bowl more than I could count. Um, so really would love to see him get his because I think Detroit absolutely screwed his career. Obviously, being from Ohio, you know, there's some of that, you know, I hope the Bengals do well. As a Browns fan, AFC North, I don't really care if they win or not. Uh, but Joe Burrow is the man, and it would make a lot of people happy. But I got to go with the Simpsons. The Simpsons uh, knows how to predict things. They say that the Bengals beat the Rams. I don't know better than the Simpsons, so that's my pick, Bengals by three. 
There you go. Yeah, I, I like it. I'm going Bengals too. I, I haven't thought about a score yet, but I'll just throw a 28-24. I hope it's a higher scoring game than that, but I guess we'll see. I, I got to think to finish the story, Evan McPherson gets a walk-off kick, right? I mean, three walk-off right. kicks in one playoff run. Just That would cement the reason you draft a kicker in the fifth round, I would say that. Um, so there's a little football for you guys. Uh, hopefully more baseball coming. And uh, tweet us anything you want us to talk about in the future. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everyone.